Well, hello. It's great to be able to speak to you uh, today. And as the video suggests, we're starting a new series uh, called Creed, Why I Believe. And uh, my name is Matt Carvel. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, we're going to start that off. I'm going to explain a little bit more as we go about what exactly uh, the creed is. But let me start with this. In uh, 1875, a man called Captain Matthew Webb was the first person to swim across the English Channel. And since then, loads of people have accomplished the same thing. But no one has ever swam the length of the channel. No one, that is, until this summer, uh, when a guy called Lewis Pugh swam from Land's End all the way around, via Brighton as it happens, to get to Dover. And he was the first person to do that. He did it in 49 days. 49 days of swimming in open water. And when you hear about something like that, if you're anything like me, your first response is to be like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you subject yourself to that? And the reason he did it, well, I would like to suggest it's two things and two things that he believed. Number one, he believed in the protection of our oceans and that we should look after them. We should guard them against pollution and that we have a responsibility to treat them well and treat our environment well. He believed that. But also he believed that by doing this feat of swimming for 49 days down the channel, that actually that would be a good way of getting the necessary attention of the public in general, the media, the government to address the concerns that he's having. So he believed about the environment, but he also believed this is a good way of getting that attention. Now, whether you've, if you've heard of him, then maybe he's correct in that belief, and he has got some attention to it, but I'll let you make up your mind about that one. But his action of doing something in this res respect, very dramatic, was, came out of a deep sense of conviction, what he believed. And actually, all our decisions in life come from something of what we believe. And that can be swimming the channel, but it also can be what we have for breakfast. It's about what we believe about the time we have, or what's healthy, or what's important, or what we should prioritize. Actually, even the day-to-day -day decisions that we have come out of a sense of value. If you start asking yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why am I acting in this way? If you question yourself, sooner or later, you'll get to a statement of something you believe. Believe about life. Believe about yourself. Believe about what is right and wrong, maybe. Actually, all of us live from a place of what we believe in. And we're starting this series today about creed, why I believe. And this creed is obviously the foundations of Christian faith, what it means to have Christian faith. But I don't want us to start off thinking that somehow what we believe is a category over here and our day-to-day -day life is over here. No, whatever spirituality you have, your beliefs determine what you do in life. And what I'm going to be presenting today, and as we go through this series in this term, we're going to be presenting what Christians believe and something about why they believe it as well, why that is reasonable, why it's credible, why we can live in a way that fits together and makes sense. It's not a blind faith, as I'll go on to explain. But we all live, we all act because of uh, what we believe. And as I'm going to say, if we 
have this Christian faith, actually it will lead to a very different kind of life, a transformed life. So that's what this series is all about. And what we're going to be looking at specifically is the Apostles' Creed. And so let me say a few things about what the Apostles' Creed is, or rather what it's not, actually. Four things I want to say that the Apostles' Creed isn't. It is not in the Bible. And when I say that, if you're a member of this church, you should start getting a little bit worried. Because we're doing a whole series on something that's not in the Bible. I say that in the sense that you can't look through your Bible and find a page that has the Apostles' Creed written out. But that's not to say the truth in it is just plucked from some random other source. No, actually, what the Apostles' Creed is, is a summary statement of the key truths that we find in the Bible, particularly in uh, the New Testament. And actually, its name, the Apostles' Creed, points to that. You might think, well, who, who are the apostles? Well, primarily the apostles were the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. And they were with Jesus, and they heard what Jesus had to say, and they saw what Jesus did while he was on the earth. And so actually the apostles, once Jesus had died and was resurrected and went back into heaven, the apostles had a key role in forming the church And part of that was passing on and teaching other people and compiling even all the things that Jesus said and did and what he revealed about God. That was one of the things that the apostles did. And then what happened is that generation of people, including the apostles, died. And then in the second century, the church was like, well, all these things that the apostles have said and what's made up our New Testament, these are really important And we need to preserve these. And actually, what's going to be helpful for us to pass on this message to other people is have some summary statements that just take the key points. Because there's a lot of things in the Bible. If you've come across a Bible, you might know that. There's a lot of stuff in there. So actually, it's quite helpful to have summaries that link into various parts of the Bible. So it's not just taking truth from another source. No, it's from what the Bible says, but bringing into a kind of summary statement. Because if you're a Christian here and someone asks you, well, what do you believe? Even what do you believe about God? You could probably give them an answer that was like a sentence or maybe a couple of sentences. But you could also give them an answer that lasts all day. There's so much you could say about God and what he's like and who he is and what the Bible reveals him to be. So actually having these summary statements that just nail down to the key points about who God is is actually helpful for us to understand what Christianity is all about. And that's why we're doing these, this series. As you'll see as we go through this uh, series, we will be preaching the Bible though. Because as we take each line by line and then we're focusing on the first line uh, today, we're going to be going back to the scripture and say, no, look, this is where it comes from, and this is why it says it in the Creed. So it's not in the Bible, but it contains the truth of the Bible. The second thing to say is the Apostles' Creed is not the only creed. You might have come across different creeds. You may have heard them or experienced them in in church or in a Christian school, maybe. And uh, some of them start with we, we believe, and some, like the Apostles' Creed, start with I, I believe. And so as I've said, it's not something that's in the Bible. It's something that the church over the centuries, and this, this one was put together in the second century, so a long, long time ago. But actually, it's a statement that unites people. It's something that's been part of uh, the church right the way um, from that second century time. And it's 
the purpose of it is, yes, to unite people and say, this is, as a community of Christians, this is what we believe. But it's also important to understand that um, the first, one of the first uses for this creed was actually um, a baptism confession. If someone was coming to know the Christian faith and making a decision to follow Jesus for themselves, um, the creed is something that they, might have, they probably would have said before getting baptized. And say, I'm following Jesus, I want to get baptized and follow him in obedience, so this is what I now believe. And they use the uh, Apostles' Creed in that way. And that's one of the reasons why it starts with, I believe. The Apostles' Creed is also not magic. And I say that, that sounds a strange thing to say, but I say that because maybe if we've di- experienced different church denominations, sometimes when people say the creed, it comes across in that kind of sort of mystical way. And actually, some church traditions have so relied on these kind of statements and relied on certain types of liturgy, these things that are set out that people say regularly uh, in worship uh, services. It's kind of in a form of worship that's so relied upon that somehow these words have a status that goes far beyond what they were intended to write down, as in pointing to the truth that's in the Bible. And somehow, in and of themselves, they have this position in religious worship that gives people the impression that they're like magic words that God's really pleased with. And if we say them enough, that somehow we get a special blessing on us. And actually, sadly, they've been used to suggest that in some context. But if we understand where it's come from, no, actually, it's pointing us to the truth of the Bible and reveals about who God is. It's not a magic formula that you say and that's going to make God do something extra special for you. It's also, so it's not magic, but it's not boring either. And I say that because... Again, this might be, if we're honest, our experience. If we've come across something like the creed, maybe again in, a, in maybe a Christian school or even in a, in a church context, and it's something that suddenly everyone's saying or we're told to say, many people's experience of it can be, well, I'm just kind of saying these words and they don't really mean much to me. I'm suddenly in this context, everyone's saying it, I better join in and I'll mild stop saying the words, but our brain or our heart is not really engaged in it. And therefore, for many people, if that's been their experience, these are just kind of boring words. It's part of church formality that are just done. And we say these things because we've always said these things. But again, these are actually the life-changing truth about who God is. And it's important to recognize that although many people through the years have said these words in an unthinking kind of way, to other people at other times, the truth that's in these words has actually been a matter of life and death. That many people actually through the history of the church have died, have been martyred because they're holding on to the truth that is found in these words about who God is, what he is like, and what the Bible says. These are incredibly important words. And as I've already said, if we subscribe to them and give ourselves to the God who we find in it, will lead to a transformed life uh, for us. So let's take this uh, first line of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And also, I'm going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. This says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth is named. 
So we get this idea, as I say, we get this idea of God, the Father Almighty, from uh, the Bible, and it reveals in many places this truth, not just this uh, passage in Ephesians. So I'm going to take the next part of what I'm going to say in two bits. We've got first, I believe, and secondly, in God the Father Almighty. Because as we start this series, which is all about what we believe and why we believe it, when I'm using the word believe, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And especially if we're not used to being in a church context or used to Christianity, we might be hearing the wrong thing. So I'm going to sort of outline what we mean by belief and faith. Firstly, Christian faith, Christian belief has to be a personal thing. And we, that's kind of indicated in this creed by saying, I believe. It's personal. Jesus demonstrated this in his teaching with his disciples. When he was with those disciples, he gathered them to himself. And after some time of being with them, teaching, doing miracles, and crowds would gather. And at one point, Jesus said to his disciples, well, who are people saying I am? And the disciples said, well, there's, there's different ideas out there. And then he comes in and says, well, who do you say I am? And he makes it very specific to them. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he affirms him in that belief. In other places, Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. There's a decision that you have to make to be a follower of Jesus. You can't be born a Christian. Just because your parents are Christian does not make you a Christian. Jesus said you need to be born again. So this is not an ethnic thing. This is not something that we can just get into just because who our parents are or even just by our church attendance or things that we do. No, that's not how we, are, how we become a Christian. It needs to be a personal decision that we make. So it's personal. Secondly, to say, I believe, it's a statement of trust. It's a statement of trust. And that's important because this word believe in the English can be quite a weak word. If someone came up to me and said, uh, Matt, is your wife's name Catherine? And I said, I believe so. You would probably be a bit confused. Because it sounds like, I'm not really sure, but yeah, let's go with that. It sounds quite vague. It sounds like I'm not too sure about it. And that's when people, when people encounter Christian faith, maybe that's what's in their head. They're thinking, these people, they kind of believe that God is there. And they're just like, yeah, that sounds like it makes sense. Let's go along with that. And is that what we mean when we say, I believe in this Christian context? No, it's not. And so when Jesus says, you must believe in me, that's not what he's talking about. Not just believe that he exists, but actually something more significant and something that's much more similar to our understanding of what trust is. And actually, we have this understanding a little bit in, in English when we say, I've got faith in someone. If I said, I've got faith in the leadership of this church, I'd be saying something much more than just that there is a leadership of the church, that they exist somehow. Or say there was a friend of mine, and uh, they were up for a, a job or a role or a task or something like that, and I said, I've got faith in them. What I'm saying is something about their trustworthiness. There's something about uh, their character. 
And actually, there's something about me kind of almost staking my reputation on it. I'm personally vouching for their trustworthiness. And entrusting ourselves and putting ourselves on the line is much closer to what the Bible means when it says faith and when it says belief in Jesus. It's not believing that he exists. It's trusting ourselves to him. Trusting ourselves to God. When you came into this room today, you all enacted faith when you sat on the chair that you're sitting on. And as far as I can see, no one's faith has led them to disaster in this circumstance. Okay? The chair is sufficient to hold your weight. No one's fallen down in front of me. If that faith was not secure, maybe if, if you didn't have that faith, you wouldn't have sat down and embarrassed yourself in front of everyone. So you, you didn't think about it, but it, you're, even the simple act of sitting down was an act of faith. And actually, when we think about it, faith has to link to our actions. If you came into this room today and, and you said, well, yeah, I believe that the chairs here are secure but I'm refusing to sit on them, I would immediately question your faith. Is that? You say you believe it, but you're not sitting on it, so you've not trusted yourself. You're not giving yourself to that belief, so it's not really a belief at all. When the Bible talks about it, when the Bible says faith must be followed by works, otherwise it's dead, that, that's exactly what it means. You have to trust yourself to God. Entrust your life to Him. That's what it means to believe in Jesus, to trust yourself to him. But the last thing I want to say about I believe, before we move on to the second part, is that that entrusting of ourselves, of our lives, of everything that we have to Jesus is not something that we're encouraged to do in a blind, unthinking way. It is a key decision that we have to make, but it's not... God's like saying, you've got to do this. Just trust me. And without giving any reason for us to trust him. No, quite the opposite. You mean, sometimes people understand the Bible to be a list of like spiritual principles or maybe God's instruction about how we should live in life. And of course, the Bible does include instruction. But primarily, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to reveal who God is. God has put it down on paper so that we can, generations later after it was written, get to know what God is like. And sometimes we read, especially through if you're reading through the Old Testament, and you see things that are very distant from your context and culture, and some of it's difficult to understand, and some of it is it's, it's very separate to maybe your experience, but you have to keep in mind, it's a story of God relating to us. And on every page, there's examples of how God interacts with us. Because God is wanting us to know what he's like. So that after we see what he's like, we can make an informed decision to give ourselves to him. Now, God is God, and we can't know everything about him. But he invites us to get to know him. And maybe that's part of your journey, wherever you're at in your faith in Jesus, 
He invites you to get to know him more. And prim- the primary way that we do that is by reading about him in the Bible. And when we think about Jesus, Jesus came into the world and he said, I'm revealing to you what God is like. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's why he came, to show us what God is like and invite us to get to know him and make a decision to entrust ourselves to him on that basis. So it's not blind faith. It's an informed faith. And because Christian faith is about us putting our trust in what God is like, the most important thing when it comes to faith is not our strength of faith. Not our sense of conviction as the main thing. And sometimes in our culture and society, we get encouraged to kind of just boost ourselves up. And even if you don't feel very confident about something, just pretend that you are really confident and you'll come across a lot better. There's some wisdom in that. Fake it till you make it. That's the kind of thing that we get taught. Are are we saying, right, as a Christian... You know, there's some things that are difficult to understand, but if you just convince yourself that it's really true and you just, you know, say the words really powerfully, then, you know, God will be really pleased. And that, that's, that's what it looks like to have a strong faith. Actually, that's quite opposite to what Jesus taught about when he taught about faith. Because Jesus' words are, you can have faith as small as a mustard seed. It can feel very small, very puny, but what makes all the difference is who your faith is in. Not about how strong it is, but who your faith is in. You can have very confident faith, but if it's in something that is not trustworthy, is not good, is not beneficial, is not helpful, is not mighty, then it's a faith that will lead you to disaster. But you can have a simple childlike trust in a mighty God, and it is a mighty faith. And so as we're saying the words of this creed, as we will do uh, before the end of this evening, we're not boasting in our faith by saying it. No, we're saying, for those who do believe this, they've said, I know enough about God that I'm going to boast in Him. And I'm going to speak about what He's like. And when I'm unsure in life, I'm going to rely on His character and not on myself or anyone else. That's what it means to have a Christian faith. Entrusting ourselves to God based on what we know about him. And if we are in that place that we often are, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I do have good enough trust in him. What's the solution there? Not boost yourself up, but get to know him some more. Fill yourself with some more reasons as he's revealed in his word to trust him and then make a decision based on that. So that's I believe, personal trust based on our knowledge of God. But I'm talking about what God is like, so let's use the time remaining to focus on that. In this first line of the creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Well, through, through these weeks, we'll look at many different aspects of what God is like. But today we're focusing on God the Father. And let's return to this verse that I read out, Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. Notice the order. Notice the order that God, the Father, is first, and then everyone else's family, everyone else's identity, everyone else's fathering, which it includes, comes after that. 
That's what the Bible teaches. Because sometimes we can get the mistaken idea of, we, well, we talk about God as a father or like a father because he has some attributes, it seems to us, that kind of fit with what we understand a father to be. So we say, right, well, God's like a father. No, 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 that's, that's actually the wrong way around. That God is the father. The Bible doesn't say he's like a father. He says he is the father. And actually, we in our society and in our understanding and in the role of earthly fatherhood, get our identity from him. And it's that way around. We, if you're a father in this room, are like the father. Some of us have got a lot of way to go in terms of reflecting that better. But actually, we are like him, not he is like us. Notice it's that way around. Okay. It's that way around, but what does that mean that all these families and fathering in general gets kind of named after God and it's a reflection of what he's like? Does that, is God a father in the sense that, well, he's just made everyone. He's just made all of creation. And so he's kind of, in one sense, he's like fathered everyone because he's just the creator. Is that what it's saying? Well, it is saying that in terms of it's including that. The Bible reveals from the first page, God made everything and everyone. But that's not the only thing that it's saying. Actually, it's saying something much more significant. That actually, yes, God made all of humanity. And he made them to be in relationship to him. That they would actually know his fatherly care in their life. That they would talk with him. That they would share their lives with him. And that's how God made people to be. But the story of the Bible includes the fact that actually as people, we have turned away from God the Father. And we have chosen to go our own way. And that's the story of all humanity, but each person also follows that pattern in their life. We don't want God to tell us what to do, we want to do our own thing. And so what's happened is that we've brought sin into the world, and sin is the wrong things we do against God, and it also creates a barrier between us and God. And so we've lost this relationship between us and God. But Jesus comes into the world to restore that relationship. And that's why Jesus talks so much about his relationship to the Father. And he reveals what he's like and says, I have this relationship of son to the Father. And then later on he says, and actually you can know that too. And he tells them how to pray and say, our Father in heaven. And he talks about my Father and your Father. Such a central part of what Jesus came to reveal to us is that we can be included in this restored relationship with God as the Father. John chapter 1, it says, we, through Jesus, we get the right to become children of God. And that's what's on offer through Jesus Christ. And in some ways, this is a very attractive idea. God, we can get to know God as a father and speak to him and have like open discussion with him and share things in our lives with him. But I know also for others, this idea that God is a father and invites us into that kind of relationship, that is a difficult thing. And that can be the case because our relationship with our earthly father, has been such a big thing in our lives. 
Even the best fathers are not, as I said, that perfect reflection of God the Father. And actually, many people's experience of a father is something much more than just not perfect, but actually can be the other end of the spectrum. And especially for people who have that experience of a father who is absent, or a father who is abusive even. That can be such a difficult thing. And actually, it can be something about Christianity that is like, I, if, you, if you're talking about God as a father, then I do not want to know. Because I just don't want to get to know a God like that, if they're a father, because I know fathers. And you've felt the impact of that. And that's, that's valid. That's people's experience. That's shockingly too many people's experience in our time, in our society. But let me say two things about that. Firstly, it's like more of an intellectual point on that. And secondly, hopefully I address some of the emotion of it. Firstly, to say, well, okay, we each have experiences of a father, even if we don't because they were absent. That's an experience uh, that our father has, has given to us indirectly. But because we have that experience, and it might have clouded our um idea of what a father is and what a father should be, that doesn't mean we should write off fathering in general. Just in the same way you might go to, maybe you went to a doctor and the first doctor you ever met was a bad doctor and they didn't look after you well, you might be tempted to never go back to the doctor again. But actually that's not going to be beneficial to you, you just find a good doctor. Just because you had a bad experience doesn't mean doctors in general are bad. Actually in general doctors are good. And they're there to look after you, and they will help you. So please don't write fathering off just because of your experience. That's massive to say. I don't want to minimize your experience with that. But let me say this as well. I think when we look at our society, and we look at ourselves maybe, we look at other people that we know, and we see the impact of fathering on people's lives. We see the pain that it can create. We see... The, um, the way it can shape people's lives and the relationships that they have with other people and the decisions that they make in life. And the implications can be so huge. You know, maybe you read through people's stories, famous people, and they'll always make reference to their parents. And again, 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 you see that people's relationship with the Father can so change, like shape their lives, positively and negatively. It seems such an explosive aspect of life. And actually, when we experience poor fathering and bad fathering, the pain of it can be particularly acute. And actually, when we look at it, actually can, it seems almost disproportionate that fathers have a propensity to hurt us more than anyone maybe. It's different than a relationship with a friend who wasn't there for us. Or when your father wasn't there for you, or when your father is the one that's brought pain into your life, the impact of that is so huge. And I think we shouldn't just think that's a coincidence, that it seems so painful. Actually, I think there's something under the surface there that we know, whoever we are, deep down, that we should have a father who is there for us. And we should have a father who cares for us and listens to us and affirms us and helps us. 
And when we don't have that, or when we have the reverse of that, it's particularly painful. And that's because there's something in us that this is not right. This is not how it should be. The one that was there to care for me and look out for me is actually done the opposite. And that's not right. And I think part of that is because, well, the Bible teaches us, part of that is because we are made for our relationship with the Father. That desire in us to have someone who affirms who we are and is there to look out for us and is there to be present with us, someone that we can turn to, someone that we can confide in. When we don't have it, it's so painful because you're meant to have it. You're meant to have it. God has made you that way. And actually, he invites us to find that ultimately in him. It's not that your experience of your father is supposed to be the end of the story. No, actually, even the best fathering that you could have received, it's not going to be perfect from an earthly father, but it's supposed to point you to the heavenly father who, yes, has made you, but invites you, wants you to come into a relationship with him. And not just so that you know him and you get to call him father, but actually that your life gets shaped by his presence in your life, that he is that father that you can turn to, that father who gives you a sense of purpose and identity in life. And for those who can affirm this this line, I believe in God the Father, you know this to be true in your life. That actually knowing you belong to the Father just changes everything, changes your identity. There's an amazing part of Jesus' life. In fact, it's before he starts his ministry that he's baptized and the Bible says the Holy Spirit descends upon him And there's this voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And that is such a massive statement. I want to suggest that is the statement that we all need to hear. Because we all need that relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I want to suggest to you maybe to consider how different your life would be if even your earthly father said that to you and affirmed you, I'm proud of you. I'm for you. Before you've done anything, I'm pleased. It's, the, it's, it's a powerful thing because we're made to receive it. Now, let me say this. To get that from God, we can't get it on our own. Because God is a father, but he is holy And he is perfect and good in every way. And when we look at our own lives, if we're honest, we're not those things. And so it wouldn't be right in one sense for God to say, I'm pleased with what you've done and who you are. Because there's so much about us that is not good and it's not right. But the gospel message is the perfect son. The one who was in heaven and could have stayed there in that perfect relationship with his father. No, he, out of love for us, came into the world. 
and not only came into the world to reveal the Father to us, but actually went to the cross to take our sin and our shame and everything wrong about us and take it to the cross and pay the penalty for it. Why did he do that? He did it so that we can come into this relationship with the Father. So that any barrier of our sin and our mess and our shame is dealt with by Jesus. That we can get his perfect record. We can get his perfect relationship with the Father. Not on our own efforts. Not based on that, but based on his efforts. And that is the gift. And that's why he says, trust yourself to me. And that's a huge step to entrust your life to Jesus and give everything about yourself to him. But what you receive in return, to receive the affirmation of the Father, to receive the well done of God, changes everything. You know, many people look through their ancestry sometimes. They go online and look up their family tree to find who. It just gives you a sense of context and who is my father? What did they do? What am I supposed to do in life? And sometimes we're sort of grasping for those things. But a Christian, someone that can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, knows that actually God the Father, that's who I'm named after. That's who I get my identity from. That's the one who has my life in his hands and is with me and is guiding me and is speaking his words of life to me. And that's what we come into. And this is what the Bible is there to reveal God as to us. Because when we look at what God is like through his word, we see a God who is faithful and a father who is trustworthy and a father who rescues And a father, yes, who is leading his people and guiding them. And at times even rebukes them. But it's because he wants what's best for them. And actually, when we step into that through faith in Jesus, we find affirmation and security and the dignity and purpose in life. Whatever happens to me in life, I have a father who will never turn away from me and loves me, and affirms me, and says even, with you I'm well pleased, not because of our sin, but because of Jesus and what he's done for us. I believe in God the Father Almighty. That's not a vague statement about a possible but unknowable God. Now we can say that because if you're a Christian, you come into this knowledge of who God is through Jesus Christ. You're saying, Not only do I know what he's like, but I've given myself to him because what he gives me, what he offers, what I can find in him is greater than any other thing in life. And so whether where you're at on that journey of understanding and grasping the Christian faith for yourself, there is always an open invitation to get to know him more. And maybe you're in a place where your faith seems a bit rocky and you're wondering whether you can trust him. Again, I encourage you. Press in to his word. Get people around you that help you to understand who Jesus is, what God is like, so you can get to know him more and there trust yourself to him afresh. I'm going to invite the band uh, on stage now. We're going to uh, respond in a time of worship, but 
I also wanted us, since we're doing uh, this series, to have a time where we actually uh, speak out uh, these words. And we're going to um, invite you to join me in saying the creed. And uh, before we do that, though, let me just say a few things, because it might be unfamiliar to you. As I said before, this is a, a statement about who God is. It's not any sense of magical words. It's we're just affirming the truth of the Bible. And there's also a very specific uh, line in it that talks about the Catholic Church. And people can get very confused about it because, what, we're affirming the Catholic Church? We're not a Catholic Church. The word, when it says Catholic there, you'll notice it with a small c. And that just means universal. What it means is everyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation is part of God's family. That's all that uh, line uh, is saying there. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. But let me also say this. If you're here and you don't believe this, please don't say it. Because again, this, this is the whole thing that we're saying. This is about a personal belief, entrusting yourself to God and what he is like. So the last thing we want you to do is feel pressure to say something you don't believe. You're on a journey with us. That is great. We're grateful that you're here and we want you to in, in, enjoy the service and join in with the songs as we sing them. Uh, but if you know that you believe this stuff, it's good for us to affirm it together and say, actually, I'm going to entrust my life afresh to God and who he is. That's what this is about. So why don't we stand together? The words are on the screen, and if you feel you want to, let's say these words together, and then we'll go into some, a time of worship following on from now. Say these words with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.